Hey, good morning, Three Circle Fairhope, man. Great to be with you and all of you joining us online today. We're going to kick off a new series today to kick off our new year and our new decade, and it's called Pivot. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about uh, the word pivot, I can't help but think about the famous Friends episode where Ross is trying to get Chandler and Rachel to help him get the couch upstairs, and he begins to yell at them to pivot, pivot. He keeps saying over and over again until Chandler tells him to shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, right? And it's a really funny thing, but I want you to try to get that actually out of your mind. And I want you to think about basketball when you think about pivot for this series. Okay. Now I played basketball as a kid, love basketball. I coached my sons in basketball, a lot of fun. And one thing that you learn when you play basketball is the value of the pivot. This is an incredible move that you just saw in the film. You saw Kobe Bryant breaking some ankles there on the court with his amazing ability to pivot. And here's the thing about pivoting. Pivot enables a kid or a player when they are trapped to find all of a sudden by simple movement, a new open pass or shot or view of the court, right? In fact, the definition of pivot from a basketball standpoint is it is a movement in which a player holding the ball may move in any direction with one foot while keeping the other pivot foot in contact with floor. If you move both feet holding the ball, you are traveling and you will get called for traveling Sometimes it just depends on who's calling the game, but it should be that you get called for traveling if you move your feet and don't have a pivot foot down. Now, why is this going to help us? Because I think that at this time of year, especially new decade and all that, we are uh, really, really into change. And I think many of us think we just need new everything. We're just going to dismantle our lives. We're going to go get a new job. We're going to go get new this, new that. We'll get a new church, get a new spouse, some of us. And and here's what I'm I'm telling you, that's called traveling, all right? (laughs) To have true, and here's what I think. I think for most of us in this room, I think most of us don't, you don't need to dismantle your life. Most of us in this room, what you need is to deeply commit where you are in most areas of your life and get a gospel perspective on it. You feel trapped and all you have to do is move. One thing that happens in basketball, coaching kids especially, is inevitably kids forget about the pivot. That it's just something that they can't remember. So they'll pick up their dribble and they'll stop and the defense swarms them and these kids just freak out. And I wish I could tell you that from the sideline, I begin to quote scripture and tell them how much Jesus loves them from the sideline. But as a coach, I begin to yell like Ross at Chandler, pivot, pivot, just pivot. All you got to do is move and you're going to be open. All you got to do is move that one foot. You're going to have a pass. You're going to have a look. You're going to have a shot. And here's what I would say to many of us in this room today. You need to pivot. You don't need a new spouse. You need a new look at the marriage God's given you. You might not need a new job. What you need is a gospel perspective on the job and work God's given you. You don't need to go find another church. It's called consumerism. What you probably need to do is figure out the way to see church through the lens of the gospel. And that's what we're going to do through this series. We're going to see that our lives are to be shaped by the gospel and we need to pivot without traveling. And the first thing we're going to look at in this idea of pivoting is the idea of work. Today, we're going to look at work. And here's why, because I think a lot of us have been off a lot, probably during the holidays. Maybe you had some time off and tomorrow you're thinking, I got to go back to work. Or if you're a stay-at-home parent, stay-at-home care uh, taker, you may be saying, now that everyone's going back to school and their jobs, I'm going to be here doing more work. Or maybe you're going, I've been working all during the holidays. I didn't get any time off and I'm just going back to work 
that's another day, right? And so as we look at this, here's what I want you to see. Why this is so important that you pivot in the way you look at work is because you're going to spend the bulk of your adult life working. Which means if you're a believer in Christ, it is the number one opportunity you have to worship and glorify God. Not Sunday morning when we're gathered here, but how you live Monday through Saturday. And also, it's going to be your number one witness for Jesus in the world. It's going to be how you work and what you do at work as you work. So it is very important that we get a gospel viewpoint, a gospel-shaped view of work. And to do that, we're going to have to jump in and correct some things. And the first one is this. You need to know God created us to work. You're created to work. Life is not meant for humans to be one long, never-ending Mediterranean cruise with chocolate bars at night, massages in the afternoon, and pool availability all day long. Life's not meant to be Disney World all the time. It's why you can only handle it for a few days. As fun as it is, at some point you're like, okay, I can't do this forever. You weren't meant to do it forever. God created us not for ever-ending pleasure and leisure. We were made to work. He works. He created us in his image. In fact, where do we get the original work? Where does it come from? It comes from the Garden of Eden. Genesis 1:26 tells us, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I'm thankful for that. It reminds me I have authority over spiders. I do not have to fear them. I need to be reminded of that. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. So this means work is for men and women. It's not gender specific. Men and women, male and female created them. And God blessed them. So work is a blessing, right? And we see the work that they're to do. They're to have dominion. They're to have this authority in the earth. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Work. And have dominion over fish of the sea and birds of the heavens over every living thing that moves on all the earth. So here we see that Adam and Eve had work to do in the Garden of Eden before sin. So work was a good thing. In fact, here's another thing we need to learn. Not only were we created for work, but you need this correction for our belief system. Work is not a consequence of the fall. Work did not come as a result. So I think many of us think that you know, the Garden of Eden was just one big, long spa treatment. And then sin came and everybody had to go to work. No, work was a part of the garden. We see it there. Adam named the animals. We know that. And we know that Adam had a time where he was extremely creative with that. And then he had some days where maybe he got bored with the monotony of it, right? Because he started off strong. Rhinoceros, that's a good word, right? Uh, giraffe, good one. Elephant, that's good. We can see when he got bored, right? Bat, m rat. Uh, cat, fly, you know, he'd given up at that point. Creativity was done, okay? But he had work to do in the garden. And he was, he was joyful in it, he enjoyed doing it. Eve had work to do with him in the garden. They had work to do before sin entered the picture. It's not a consequence of the fall. It's not a part of the curse. Work was in the garden of Eden, and this is what we want to get back to. We want to pivot from where we are to this. In the garden of Eden, Work was joy-producing and God-glorifying. What they did was joy-producing in their own lives and God-glorifying. And I bet many of us in this room cannot say that about our work and what we do, that it brings joy to us and it is God-glorifying. But it should be, because here's what I want you to understand. The, the fall happened in the garden. So before the fall... 
there was work and, and it was joy producing and God glorifying. And then the fall happened and we end up in this, in this middle ground, which we live in. We live in a cursed world. We call it the in-between, in-between uh, the, the garden and the future, heaven. But here's the deal. If in the garden of Eden before there was any sin, there was work, guess what's gonna be in the future garden of Eden, if you will, in heaven when we are with God? That's right, work. We will work in heaven Heaven is not going to be one long Mediterranean cruise. Heaven's not going to be you floating around, disembodied in a robe on a cloud playing a harp. I don't know about you, that sounds more like hell to me than heaven. <laughs> Revelation 22.3 says, in heaven, right, no longer will there be anything cursed. Isn't that good news? The curse will be lifted one day. All the twisting that the curse did in this world will be lifted. Okay. And look what it says, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants. That means there's work. He will, we will serve him. We will do the work of heaven and we will worship him with it. Even in heaven, God will continue to connect our work with our worship. We will serve and worship together. The number one way we will all worship God is in how we work and how we live our lives. And we spend a whole lot of energy on the church gathered on Sunday mornings, but man, we've got to learn and live the gospel out in our lives as we scatter into our jobs and schools and everything we do. And if you're here today and you're a student, your work is your schooling, okay? It's work and it's what we are to do as humans. We will work in heaven. So when did things change? Because see, what I want to see us do is I want to see us pivot from where we are now in this cursed world to what God originally intended for it. And God intended for it to be work. But what we've turned it into because of the curse is this word called toil. And I want you to see that. We're gonna try to pivot today from toil back to work. From what the curse has done to us with our work back to uh, what the scriptures teach us can be. And that is this idea of work. Where did we go from work to toil then? When did it become toil? Well, it happened in Genesis 3 when sin entered the picture. God said to Adam, Genesis 3, 17, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Now cursed is the ground. That's the work of Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So that's where work changed. Now let's get a proper theology, a proper belief about work today that can change our lives, okay? It was always a part of the design for humans. It was originally joy-producing and God-glorifying. Then sin entered the picture and twisted everything. The curse infected everything. Write it down. The curse of sin infected every part of human existence, including turning work, that wonderful thing God blessed us with, in his image, into this thing called toil. And that's where a lot of you, like a young basketball player, trapped in toil. You hate what you do. You dread it. You work Monday through Friday because you have to, but you wish you didn't have to. And it is joy draining. And because of that, you're not worshiping God in it. And it just becomes this thing that we all fall into. And this is very important for us to understand. 
Uh, theologian Leland Riken said it like this, work originally served a purpose of human fulfillment, but now it has become a source of frustration. And that's where a lot of us are today. That's why a lot of us are going, oh man, tomorrow, Monday morning. Okay. But the gospel changes this because what happens is for us as believers, one of the most important things that can happen in this in-between, between the garden and heaven, is that in a fallen, cursed world where everyone has allowed sin to twist even what we do into this toil thing, we as Christians begin to live in a work environment where we work to the glory of God and we joyfully do it. And in doing so, we point the entire world to the God that in the end is going to renew all things and it's going to lift the curse. We get to live like the curse doesn't exist in a world where it certainly does. And this is an incredible calling of every single believer. But to do it, we must have a proper understanding of this. Now, you may be here today and you go, well, I, you know, I don't have a job. I work at home or I, I, I stay at home with my kids or whatever. I want to talk to you about that for a second because my wife has taught me many things. But one thing she taught me is this work job mentality. Let me tell you how this went. So when my wife and I uh, graduated from the University of Mobile, I got an opportunity to be at a big church in Atlanta. We went there. Nan is a trained and incredible, by the way, pianist, musician, and music instructor. So we had a music school there in Atlanta that Nan became one of the staff members, one of the teachers, and she quickly made a name for herself. Parents wanted their kids to take from Nan, this young, gorgeous, talented, amazing teacher that could take kids and turn them into, you know, these incredible pianists, and she could do it. And it was amazing. And it also made us great money. There were times I was known as Nan's husband, all right, in Atlanta. It was awesome. And she did this so very well. Well, then we moved to Florida, Florida to plant a church. And my wife and I together, and we don't ever want to push this on anyone else. Understand, this was us, personal for us, is we decided that we wanted Nan to stay home with the kids. And we started having kids. So my wife traded, and it was painful, sacrificial. We lived in a smaller house than maybe we would have. We drove old cars. We vacationed in Gulf Shores instead of Italy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Gulf Shores is awesome, all right? It, all of that. And, and we decided, you know what, we're going to sacrifice because this is so very important. And we did. We don't regret that at all. But one thing is that my wife sacrificed. And what she did is she traded basically a job for what she felt was the most important work of her life at that time. Does that make sense? All right. So let, I always want to be transparent with you for you to understand that I want to be your pastor, but I can also be a knucklehead sometimes. All right. And let me just tell you one of those moments. I don't remember what day it was, but one day all three kids are in, at home. They're still toddlers and little, even a baby was in the house. And we had some kind of argument going. I know it's hard to believe that pastors and their spouses argue, but we do sometimes. And I made this statement. I said, I forget how I said it, but I basically said, look, I'm the one with the job. Talk about needing a pivot. Do, do, do. Whistles are blowing everywhere. Foul. Go to the line and shoot. Ejected, right? So my wife gave me a little speech. It was probably one of her greater oratorical moments. She said, indeed, you do have the job. You're right, Chris. You do have the job. Your job, you get to go and hang out with adults all day that know how to use the English language to speak to you. They don't just make grunting sounds. 
They don't just cry and scream. They talk to you and have conversations. You're right. You have a job. You have a job where the people you work with go to the bathroom on their own. (laughs) They don't yell from the bathroom to you, I'm finished, mommy. Uh, That's right, Chris. You get to go to lunch at your job every day with adults that uh, feed themselves. So you're right, Chris, you have the job. And while you're at your job, I'll be at home doing work. It was a good moment. Didn't you think that was well said of her? I thought it was powerful, really good. I got a lot of ladies going, Nan's my hero now. Give me a break. Don't judge me. I see judgment in your eyes. I'm just a human, all right? Here's the deal. Nan was absolutely right. I had misunderstood the difference there. So what I want you to understand today is a job is what you get a paycheck for. It's what you get paid for. But your work, which we all have to do, is what we are called to. It's what God has given us to do. And you don't have to get a paycheck for that. If you're a stay-at-home parent, if you're a caretaker, if you are handicapped and cannot have a job right now, or let's say you are retired, John Piper, great theologian, says about retirement, he's like, do not just move to the beach and collect seashells the rest of your life and play golf every day. Do not waste your life. He calls that wasting your life. Why? Because even when a job stops, work continues to the grave for us because we were created for work. So how do we begin to pivot to what God wants for us? This is so important. As Christians, we're called to follow Christ in general and always, but... We're also called to vocational work. How do you find out what work is? And let me just help you here. Be careful that you don't let our Americana way of doing things inform you on this issue. Because in America, particularly, we have this idea of the dream job mentality. Let's talk about this for a second. Dream job mentality says, I need to go find what I love to do. And I'm missing out. And I'm living less of a life if I don't find what I love to do, right? And folks, that is, let let me say a few things. Number one, that is unique to first world countries in about the last hundred years. People never asked what their dream job was for thousands of years. Here's how it worked. Your work came to you. And most of the time it came through your family. It did for Jesus. Jesus' dad was a carpenter. He was one. You apprenticed with your parents and family normally. If your dad made horseshoes for horses, guess what you were going to do? Make horseshoes for horses. And if your parents were doctors, you'd probably end up in the medical field. If your parents were in politics, you might end up in that. And on and on and on it goes. It's just been in our century, maybe even less, that we've decided we all need a dream job. Let me tell you, that is a form of immaturity. Here's what the gospel does. A gospel lens does not say you've got to go find what you love to do. The gospel says whatever you do, you can learn to love to do to the glory of God to your own joy, and to the flourishing of those who you serve. That's what the gospel does. This is a game changer. This is a total game changer in our lives. So get the dream mentality out of the way. Here's the, I remember my first job was at a nursery. It was not rocking babies. It was a plant nursery, South Mississippi. Murray was the boss's name and the owner of the nursery. Murray was an older, mean, cigarette-smoking, cussing man. And so my job was to walk behind a flatbed trailer, me and some of my buddies, behind a flatbed trailer, and it was loaded with plants and black pots, all right? You get a nursery in your mind, right? And there were acres and acres of black tarp covering the earth. And this trailer with a tractor was pulling down the row, and we were to grab the plants on the flatbed trailer and then bend over and put them down on the tarp. 
And Murray had a few stipulations to work for him. Number one, you did not grab like one pot at a time, nor did you grab two pots at a time. You were to learn and he would teach you how to use the claw and grab four in each hand, four pots in each hand, come off the trailer. Trailer continues to move. You have to then get them on the ground and in a specified marked place on the tarp, get your pots put out correctly, then step over them and grab the next four and go down. Trailer doesn't stop moving, you keep working. The last stipulation Murray had, cigarette smoking, cussing, stomping, Conway Twitty listening to Murray, is Murray did not want any dirt on the tarp. You don't spill the dirt. Spilling the dirt meant you didn't do it right. You weren't doing it right. And dirt's expensive. He said that all the time, dirt's expensive, boys. Don't spill my dirt. So if you know me at all, you know that I, my mind can float a little bit at times. So it took about 45 minutes on day one for me to be somewhere else and not there, even though I was still there, right? And I was leaving a dirt trail behind. Murray came out. And to this day, I've never been cussed out as bad as Murray cussed me that day. He called me stuff I didn't know you could call him. I didn't know the English language worked quite like that. With a cigarette in his hand, he cussed me out that day. Let me have it. I was so mad. I went home and from that moment on for several weeks, that job went from work to guess what? Toil. There was no joy in it. I thought, I don't want to be here, this jerk talking to me like that. I still don't like to be condescended to in that way. And I was mad and God began to work on me. I had a bad attitude and God began to work on me. And, and as a kid, and again, I had a youth pastor that taught us well, that held our feet to the fire to follow Jesus and everything that we did. And I realized through God and through my youth pastor, hey, those guys I was working with needed Jesus. And Murray, by the way, needed Jesus, obviously. And I was there for a reason. So I began to pray about that. And I began to do good work, stop spilling the dirt, did what the guy wanted me to do, started talking to him about Jesus, living my faith out. Do you know, at the end of the summer, Murray found out about me, found about who I was and my faith and all this. And he came and apologized to me. And what's hilarious is Murray cussed the whole time he was apologizing to me for cussing me out. <laughs> this old man looked at me and said, I'm a blankety blank blank for talking to you that way. And then blankety blank, sorry. You know what I mean? There, that's how it goes. And I, I you know, it was, I had to decide, listen, I would not have made it through that summer if I had not pivoted from toil. I don't like this. I got to do this. I can't stand these people to work. I honor God with what I do. I get to do this. I don't have to do this. And God has a purpose for it. And it was a game changer and it can be for you. And it wasn't my dream job. It came to me that summer and you are going to be the same way. We must follow Christ in all that we do. So how do we make this pivot? Let's talk about a few things. We need to pivot to see our work through the lens of the gospel whatever that is. And the first move we got to make is when we pivot, when we pivot out of this trap of toil, the first thing we're going to see, the first pass, the first shot is this. I work ultimately for God. Number one, I work for God. You got to stop working for your boss, even for yourself, even for the company. You got to start working for God. If you flip burgers, flip them for Jesus. If you heal bodies through your medical practice, heal bodies for Jesus. If you are raising kids, raise them for Jesus. Because you will inevitably move into toil if you don't see that you're working for Jesus. 
Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily, ask for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It's the ultimate shift. It's the ultimate pivot. If I can make this pivot, it's huge. Now, some of you in this room in particular, this is going to be huge for because you feel invisible in your work. Humans inevitably want to be acknowledged. And sometimes you feel invisible. You may be taking care of an elderly parent, and that's all you can do right now. You may be taking care of babies. You may be raising kids. You may be handicapped, and no one sees the work that you do and how you work so hard, to, even in your handicap, working through that. You may feel so invisible. Here's the beauty of this theology. You are never invisible again when you work for Jesus. Jesus sees everything you do and it dignifies every single thing you do when you do it for the Lord. And the Bible says that even if your earthly reward is not what it should be, it's gonna be real good in heaven. God sees everything you're doing, which is why I'm convinced that guys like me on stages doing this stuff right here, we're gonna get to heaven and we're gonna be raking the yards for some of you in your mansions who was doing behind the scenes stuff that no one ever saw, all right? My work in heaven's gonna be cleaning your yard, okay? And I'll be happy to do it because I think many of us, the inheritance in heaven's gonna blow our minds and we're not even gonna realize the people that were behind the scenes. We've gotta start working for God and not others. This is a huge, huge shift. Secondly, we gotta work hard and smart if we're gonna honor God in our work. Whatever we do, do it well. One great theologian said, if you're gonna be a shoemaker, make the best shoes in the world. Whatever it is you do, do it well. Figure out ways to do it better. And don't just work hard, work smart. The idea is found in the Hebrew language, translated to English into the word diligence. Now, I always thought diligence was just hard work, but diligence is smart and hard. Let me give you an example. If you were my boss and you said, hey, go cut that tree down. Well, I could, I could go cut the tree down working just hard with a sledgehammer. I, it may take me a year of beating on that tree with a sledgehammer, but sooner or later it would give way to the sheer force of me hitting it with a sledgehammer and I would get the tree down, but that would be stupid, right? That wouldn't be smart because you don't cut a tree down with a hammer. So diligence says, not only will I give it all my effort, I'm also gonna give it my mental effort and I'm gonna think, how's the best way to do this? And what am I gonna do? I'm gonna go get a saw and I'm starting to hacksaw my way through it. Then I'm gonna realize, wait a minute, I can do better than this. I can go get a chainsaw crank that baby up. And then if I'm entrepreneurial, I'm going to go even better. I can cut down a lot of trees by hiring some guys to work for me to cut the trees down. You follow me here? And this is called Christian work. And I do it all for the glory of God and to flourish those around me and, and get better at it. Look at Proverbs 13, four, it says the soul of the sluggard craves. Now here's the difference in a sluggard and a person who works diligently. All of us crave it's called need. You need to work because you need stuff. You need food. You need shelter, right? But the difference is they get nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Hard, smart work pays off. That's what the Bible says. We're made for it. Proverbs 12, 24, the hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Meaning you're either going to do it with joy and diligently or you're just going to do it because you have to. And then finally, Proverbs 14, 23, in all toil there's profit. Mere talk tends only to poverty. Now, this is important. What's that word that we're trying to pivot from that's used in that verse? Do you see it? Toil. It says there, all toil has some profit. I love this. The Bible's not telling you that you can't make a living in toil. 
You can work your whole life and pay for your house and your food and live your whole life toiling, and many people do. Unfortunately, many Christians do. Toil does produce money and resources, but here's what toil cannot produce, joy. And God, through the gospel, gives you a different way of living this life. You do not have to toil. You can choose that if you want, but if you will work rather than toil, you will live in joy, you will flourish, you will bless those around you, and you'll honor and glorify God in your work. Thirdly, embrace purpose in your work. You gotta figure out the purpose in your work, whatever it is, and then grab onto it and hold it tight. If you are working the uh, drive-through line at a fast food restaurant, you're gonna have to figure out where the purpose is. And I'll tell you right now, I roll through those lines often with my kids. The other day, we were at McDonald's, went through the drive-through line, it was packed to get breakfast burritos because my kids like, my boys in particular like breakfast burritos from McDonald's. And when we pulled up, the lady was so awesome. She was so nice. And I noticed that she didn't have a lot of help. And she was taking the orders with her headphone while taking my money and making all that work. And I asked her, I said, how long are you working today? She said, all day. I'll be here eight hours. As we were pulling through, I looked at my kids. I said, you realize that lady's going to sit right there all day long. And some people are going to be mean to her and rude to her. And she's going to bless. She blessed us. Guess what? We're about to eat breakfast burritos because she did her job correctly. There's great dignity in that. There's great honor in that, right? So this is huge to find the purpose in your work and grab onto it. Paul even said, if the only thing you can find is that you're providing something for someone, that's good. First Timothy 5.8, he said, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. For instance, if you're changing diapers at home all day, find the purpose. You may go, this isn't important. It's important to your kid. If you don't change that diaper, it's going to be one uncomfortable day for him or her, right? What's the purpose? Fourthly and finally, dignify your work and the work of others through the gospel. I don't just dignify my own work. I dignify the work of all. I begin to look through the lens of the gospel at what you do. Is there anything worse than hearing the trash truck come through your neighborhood and realize you haven't taken yours out there? right? But when you backtrack that a second, you begin to realize how important to your life, the guy driving that truck and the guy on the back of it is. They work hard to serve our community. And without them, you'd be in a mess, wouldn't you? Literal mess. How important all of us are to each other. The interconnectedness of us is beautiful. And in the gospel, I begin to not just go, what I do matters. But what you do matters. I dignify that. Hey, parents, don't let your kids talk rudely or unappreciatively to a cashier at a store or a waitress or waiter at a restaurant. Like that is training ground to teach them to dignify others in the work of every single person because it matters. And you matter. And what you do matters. Tim Keller says it like this. Christians who grasp a biblical theology of work learn not only to value and participate in the work of all people, but to also see ways to work distinctively as Christians. Meaning I bring my Christianity to everything I do. And I don't have to have my dream job. To have joy in it, glorify God in it. So here's what we'd say. The big pivot move today, if I will pivot to the gospel for my work, is this. I'll move from toil to work and I'll move from have to to get to mentality. In closing, I'll tell you a little story. 
uh, when I was in college, I, I sang in this group, and, and then one summer, the summer after my freshman year, uh, several of my buddies in the group went and toured. And I couldn't do it because they didn't get paid much to do it. I needed money. My family couldn't afford to, to take care of everything for me. I needed to make some good money that summer. I had an opportunity to work at a chemical plant in South Mississippi at the time called Morton Thicol, Morton International. So I went out there through some connections and I got this job and I hated it for several weeks. I wore a onesie, <laughs> one of these chemical suits. It was hot and it was horrible. And my friends were touring what I wanted to do, but I needed money and I had a horrible attitude, horrible. And then again, how God, God works, he's like, you're not gonna do this. You begin to represent me. And while I was out there, my attitude changed, started talking to people about Jesus. And there was this black guy by the name of Ernie B, still the funniest human being I think I've ever met. Ernie B was this older black man who made me laugh all summer. He was foul, not a Christian, used bad language, but man, was he funny. And he and I became friends. And as I began to talk to him about the Lord, his nickname for me was Preacher Boy. Well, about a week before I was going to be done with my job for the summer, I wanted to bring Ernie B a Bible. So I brought Ernie B a Bible. I handed it to him. And I'll never forget this older black man, Ernie B, looking at his Bible that I gave him. He looked up at me and he had these tears in his eyes. He said, Preacher Boy, I can't do anything with this. I said, why not, man? It's just a Bible. And he looked at me again, put his head down. He said, I can't read. I don't know how to read. I'll never forget that in all my life. So I went, and Ernie B., I found out, didn't have a CD player either. This is the mid-90s. So I got Ernie B., the Bible on cassette tape. And on my last day there, I gave Ernie B. <laughs> this big white thing with cassettes. Here, Ernie B., he was so happy to get, I wish I could tell you that angels descended from heaven, a choir began to sing and Ernie B just grabbed me and hugged me and I thanked him and let me stay. If I would have stayed in toil mentality, I would have missed that little opportunity. But because God moved me to work, I was able to have maybe some little seed impact on that man. I would have missed that. And you're gonna miss it too if you don't move from toil to work. Let's pray together.